0: This episode is brought to you by Arden Labs Education. Sign up today to learn advanced concepts in Go, Docker, Kubernetes, Terraform, and more. Visit ardenlabs.com forward slash education for more information.
1: Hi, welcome to the Arden Labs podcast. My name is Bill Kennedy and our special guest today it's Florent Beville. Hey Florent, thank you for joining us today.
0: Thanks for having me. Good to be here.
1: Where are you coming from today? And so I'm from France uh, and I live a bit outside Paris. Nice. Oh my god. I haven't been I think the last time I went to Paris was you had like this massive snowstorm of like the century. The whole city shut down. People were leaving their motorbikes in in like town because they couldn't drive them out. I mean, and I hate snow, so it was just one of those things where like I brought unlucky snow to the city.
0: <laughs> oh yeah,
1: it, it happens
0: every few years, and yeah, it, it gets quite messy. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's wild. All right, give everybody like the two minute drill. I call it on kind of what you're doing today, or what is what is Florent doing today?
0: Sure. So I work at uh, Neo4j. So Neo4j is a graph database uh, company. So the main product is Neo4j, and I maintain the official Go driver for it. So that's mostly what I do. And I also maintain, you know, relationships with the driver community. So people outside Neo4j who also maintain, you know, drivers or or, or projects built out of our drivers. Well, that's mainly my two my two roles. So the biggest one being the Go driver maintenance,
1: really. That's a big responsibility because I'm, I mean, for any language, right? Not just Go, let's say, but for any language, because if that driver's not working, nobody can use the really use the database, right? I mean, that's the that's the edge of the database at the end of the day. So, did you? Um, I mean, I want to get to all this, but I'm just curious right now. Is that the Go driver that you developed for? Um, for Neo, were you able to build that from the ground up? Were you part of the team that wrote that initially, or, or are you you're coming in and maintaining it? I, I'm more curious on the idioms and um, your ability to make that look and feel like Go.
0: So, it's a project that actually has a funny history. Like, it's been created twice, uh, but I came a bit after the, the second, the second creation, so to say. So, no, I'm, I'm only here to maintain it. I've, I've not. Uh, yeah, I've not seen. I've seen the code since, of course, but I've I've not worked directly with uh, creating creating it the second time, and even less so for the first time it was wrong. Yeah,
1: gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. I um, last year, last year, yeah, last year, I decided I wanted to learn graph databases, and a buddy of mine started the company called DGraph. So I was learning a lot about graph databases, leveraging DGraph. I think they're amazing. Database. I think they can even be used as general-purpose databases. I, I think there's a there's this beautiful mix of like, for me like SQL integrity with NoSQL kind of flexibility. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and that's really what, what drew
0: drew it to me like a few years ago as well. Is uh, just the flexibility of the model, and indeed. Uh you know, the dynamic nature of it, like how fast you can iterate on a model, change it, you know, revise it, etc., without be being tied initially with a, with a rigid schema. And so that plus, uh, plus the fun query language, that, those were really the
1: two things that, that drew, drew me to the graph database landscape, really. All right, we're going to get back to all of this because I've got a lot of questions. But this, this podcast isn't really about graph databases. It's about you. So I'm going to ask you my, uh, first of all, I'm I'm guessing you, you, did you grow up in in Paris? You grew up in France?
0: So I grew up in France, but I lived in Normandy, so most northwestern part of France, not not in Paris.
1: Okay. And then, again, the schooling system is so different, not so different, but different enough than in the States. So just to get a general sense of um, timeframes here, when did you finish, what year What year were you when when you kind of finished grade school and could think about university? Like in the U.S. that's usually like when you're 17 or 18. Sorry,
0: yes, yeah, so the, the age is similar here. So we finish high school usually at 18 years old and then we start university or, or other paths uh, uh, at that age, really. So in my case, it
1: was around 2004. 2004. I started, uh, yeah. OK, 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 don't say any more to me. 2004, OK, that gives me a good kind of general sense of uh, where tech is. And I think it helps everyone, it helps me. All right, here's my favorite question. Here we go, all right? I, I just don't think too hard on this. What is your first memory of working on a computer, that first memory that pops in your head?
0: So I'm afraid I've thought too hard already because I researched it a little bit. My memories were a bit too vague. Um and so and so I asked around, I cheated, I'm sorry. Um
1: basically I Wait think wait wait it was wait around. wait 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 time out. I'm gonna interrupt you throughout this process here. Who did you ask? You asked your like your your My family. Mom? My mom. Your mom. Yeah, you asked your yeah, mom. I, her first remembrance of you working on a computer. So this is more moms. I wouldn't call
0: it working, yeah, but she <laughs> she was the one, you know. Being in charge and, and using the computers. My, my father was allergic to computers until maybe allergic. two years ago. <laughs> yes, I, I would describe it like that. He didn't didn't want to know about it. Didn't want to hear about it. He was really reluctant to use any any of these things. So my mother was doing you know accountancy etc. And the first computer she brought home, I believe, was a Tandy computer around 94, 95. She bought it from the union she was involved with. And I remember her. I think it was Windows three three dot one or something. You know, you had this file tree interface. You would browse your files like that, start programs, and that's the vague memories I have of it. I was mostly watching, really. I didn't actively use it. Or I would ask my mother, hey, "Can you start this uh, this game?" Or but that's about it, really. My first experience was mostly watching.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you're like seven or eight years old at that point too. But was your mom? Okay, this is the question. Was your mom protective of the computer because she didn't want you to break it? Or were you kind of scared to maybe jump on it yourself because you didn't want to break it? What's the kind of, you remember any of that?
0: For some reason, I don't think I even thought of accessing the computer by myself. So I I, I don't think I even tried. I think that possibility completely eluded me at the time. It was like... Spending time with my mother, watching what she was doing, sometimes asking for some, some game time, but I would need her help. Yeah, I never thought about doing it myself, actually. So I couldn't even say if it's fear or maybe just, I don't know, lack of curiosity, maybe.
1: Or maybe you just saw it as your mom's a tool and not necessarily a plaything. So it didn't register. And your mom, you said your mom was an accountant. So she's not an accountant, but she was doing,
0: you know, this, you know, just checking the accounts for the family, et cetera. So she, she's a nurse. Uh, she was a nurse, she's retired now, but she was doing this. That's why she brought it home, basically, to automate a little bit of accounting and, and this kind of chores.
1: So she's the technical one in the family then?
0: Yeah, she used to be. Now now I am. And now she has questions to me, but <laughs> she used to be the one more taking clients, really. Uh,
1: I, and now I got to ask because you brought your your dad up. What did what was your what did your dad do? At least at the time that he wasn't interested at all.
0: So I, at the time he was a nurse manager, really. So they both worked uh, in the same company. Um, in the same, yeah. It's called foundation in, in French, even though it's not exactly foundation like in the U.S. But uh, so he was mostly managing uh, managing teams of nurses and and working with patients as well from time to time.
1: I mean, in '94, there were definitely computers being used in, in, in environments and offices at the time. Were they not using, or I mean, you may not be able to answer this, but you don't think they were using computers, or maybe your dad was and he just hated it and he didn't want to do it at home.
0: I, I think they, I'm not sure they used computers at work. I know they were using they were using it in the union because she, they had to manage you know membership, membership, membership fees, etc. So they were using some software for that. Because I remember going to the room and there were computers, so some computers there. and um, but, So that's how we got the computer, actually. But I, I never really visited the workplace, you know, because it was some uh, <laughs> a sensitive area, I guess, given the kind of patients they were dealing with. So, so yeah. So I, I, I don't know, but given, <laughs> given my father reluctance to use any computers, I don't think he used any at work, or at least very minimally.
1: That's wild. So then, as you get into high school, right, those last four years of grade your high school, is there. Well, I, I love this question too because, you know, high school, and people have heard me say it, that that's a really four years of very formative kind of time in your life, right? You're 14, 15 through 17, 18. You're trying to figure out what you want to do. You're, you're getting at the end where um, you can start making decisions. So it's always interesting to me as you're entering into like ninth, that ninth grade. What are your interests at the time? Or what do you think your interests are? are you sports, music? Um, is it something technical? Like what's going on?
0: So at that time, I was still pretty interested in soccer. So I was uh, I was playing in a club. Um, so I was still quite active doing that. Um, I, hadn't, I had, I had, Taken again, some uh, guitar lessons as well. So I studied when I was a kid. So I was quite interested. But then, you know, I was not, um, how can I say, organized enough. And I was not really a good student when I was a kid. So I I dropped out after three years. And then they took back again because at the high school I was, there were um, tutors that would come, you know, every week uh, just for free. You just had to register and we're like. Wait, 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 wait. You
1: dropped out. You dropped out of grade school.
0: No, 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 sorry. I, I mean, dropped out in a, probably in the wrong way, but when I was a kid, when I was, when I was taking guitar lessons. Oh, the guitar, uh, so guitar, so I,
1: guitar, sorry. Yeah, got, guitar got, lessons I got... when I was a kid. No, I didn't <laughs> drop out. Uh, no, I was no. going to say.
0: So, yeah, I stopped the guitar lessons, my bad. That's what I meant. Because I was not doing really my homework. The professor was <laughs> getting pissed more and more every time I would come back and not you know see that I didn't practice enough. So, so yeah, that's that kind of... Stopped me at a, like I already have my regular homework, so I don't want to deal with this. And so that's why I, re- I waited many years before picking the guitar again in high school when there were free courses there, basically.
1: It's like you wanted to learn how to play guitar, but you didn't. What you didn't want to put the work in. <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> something like that. And you were more interested in playing soccer. It sounds like then than. than... Yeah, I mean, I, I mean that makes sense. We you were playing club level soccer, so <clears throat> I mean you were you were pretty decent then, right? I mean,
0: yes and no. I, I had some. Uh, so we, I remember playing at some good level, like the maximum level when I was fifteen years old. So that was so it was a national level. So quite a big deal. But I was not great in the team. Really, I was probably one of the worst. And we and it was quite. You know, we were playing against. Uh, the you know the the young teams of professional clubs sometimes and we would lose like very very bad like you would see you would see the difference like we would lose like you know like by a huge difference sometimes like ten to zero or something which is huge in soccer. Um uh, yeah you know, that was tough. Yeah. So we were struggling in that division and I was struggling within the team. So I, I was not that great but still good memories of it though.
1: So then as you're going through high school what is starting to kind of pique your interest? Um as you're as you're walking through high school,
0: so when I was in, I, I was you know hesitant between becoming a journalist on on following maybe a more uh, you know f- following a scientific curriculum, and then when I w- went to high school, yeah, I basically forgot the idea about be- becoming a journalist and really went into science, so math, physics, etc. And and I, and I knew I wanted to do something like that, um, and it's only got a little bit concrete for the last year in high school when when I. So, we had this uh, parallel to university. We would have what, what we call schools of engineering, which lead to a, a master's degree. It's not exactly the same, organized the same way as universities, but anyway, I, I knew I wanted to do something like that, you know, getting in maybe into mathematics or, or computer science, but really more to yeah, at the, towards the end of high school, really. At the beginning, I was more into the general
1: science curriculum without, without any uh, precise idea. But was it, I mean, I guess at that point, 90, well, 2004, you said you graduated. <clears throat> so you must have had a pretty decent computer lab and, and kind of course curriculums in high school at that point.
0: So we d- didn't have back then like very strong, like I didn't have any programming uh, courses in high school. So that, that didn't really happen. We, we had some basics. Uh, so before that, a few years before, you know, on how to w- use a word processor and these kind of things, we had some uh, electronics course, but we didn't have any, I had, uh, through a project, we had some basic, uh, we have some, we, have, we had to use some basic a little bit, but that was really because that, particular project required it, but that was really a very short introduction. We didn't have any formal training here until I landed into my school of engineering, really. That's when it really started on the computer science side of things. And I was thinking, for some reason, even though I had not had a formal introduction to computer science, I was quite drawn to it, even though I was not really knowing. So I, I, I saw some, some, some demonstrations of uh, when I visited the schools uh, and I saw some demonstrations of what they were doing with computers, and it looked uh, it looked like I was like, "Hey, it looked very cool. I, I want to do something like this." Even though I didn't have any concrete ideas of what they were doing.
1: Okay, that that that, that was going to be my question. It's where is the interest coming from? If you're not seeing it in high school, you're not necessarily doing it at home. You're not thinking about any of that. So it's when you started touring the different engineering schools and you started seeing the potential of that curriculum you were like okay this is cool
0: yeah that that, that i think that's really helped me in making my final decision and, and the rest was maybe a build-up of years of fiddling with stupid things on the computer you know customizing sounds or what have you when you have different events etc but um the real interest like the real concrete interest really started to form when I visited those those schools and so concrete demonstration of the kind of things they could do like image processing or you know simulations etc that's that really piqued my interest uh, more concretely.
1: So as you're finishing high school and now you're trying to figure out what it sounds like in your head you're going to university one way like it wasn't job market it wasn't trade it was I'm gonna go to university and study engineering. Did you, how many schools did you apply to or you just knew already in your head this was the school I was going to?
0: I, I already kind of knew so it was it was basically a network of schools. so I have had a choice between five different cities. but because I was interested in computer science, I had like three out of those five. And so you have some kind of admission steps to go through. and I got I got the one I wanted to uh, very early. So I decided, you know what? That's what I want. That's where I want to go. So I, I didn't even. I looked around a little more, like, but I was already kind of set on on this one. So I didn't search for too long, really.
1: How far away was the university from from home? Did that play a factor at all? Just to get out of the house, and were you like three hours away? Were you like how far away was it?
0: Yeah, I think it was most for four, four hours ish away. Um, But I I didn't think about it until until I moved there. Then I realized, oh, I'm actually a bit far away from home and far away from my friends because most of my friends went went to a closer city, when there is a university there. So that's when I realized the disconnect and like, oh, I had to start my 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 network of friends all over again. So so that that, that's a pattern in my life, you know, thinking about what I want to do and then realizing the consequences (laughs) after the decision. So that that was one big example of that. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I guess you had it in your head that you would just come home every weekend and you were going to maintain your network of friends. Oh, that's really. See, when I went, I, I, I wanted to get out of my house so bad, but I couldn't afford to go to university outside of the state I lived in because tuition is always a lot more expensive. So I found the school that was like the farthest away. It was like, I don't know, about eight or nine hours away while still being in the state but i knew very well i wasn't going back home like i was going to start over with um all new i kind of been like that my whole life i just move and i'm just go- just going to start over so um do you still have any of those friends though from high school in your life today not
0: really i think that's basically that whole network of friends vanished after the first years of being, being you know, in, in that other city, really. So it's, it's, it's been hard to, to, to track them again. So, the, yeah, that,
1: that's, a, that's one of the small regrets I have, basically, doing that choice, but it paid off in other ways. I have one person in my life that I met in kindergarten. We don't really live close, but we keep in touch. I have one person from university that I still talk to like that's kind of my life like I you know have that one person and but I try to tell my kids that like the relationships you have today they're great they're powerful but like four years from now it's gonna be all new people right and it's really hard to understand that when you're young
0: yeah and I actually visited my, my school of engineering the other day uh, and talked to first-year students and that's exactly what we told them did you know after graduation, uh, all, all the connections you have right now, you're probably going to lose a big chunk of it. So if you want to stay in contact, try to start now, try to foster those relationships now. and Because it, we take it for granted while we are around, you know, we are surrounded by friends, etc. But then when we move on, it's, it's so much harder to, to maintain relationships like that.
1: Yeah. All right. So this uh, engineering school that you go into in 2004, is this like a four-year program for the engineering?
0: So it's a five year program. So it's split in two years of, you know, general common uh, courses for everyone. And then you, you specialize and it depends on what the school offers basically. So, but computer science uh, starts right away in those, in those common, uh, you know, common two years. And then, then, then you can specialize, you know, you, you had, uh, so in the school I was, there was like chemistry, mechanics, energetics, uh, computer science, mathematics, uh, or environment engineering as well. And so it's where
1: so I, I'm sure as a freshman, you had it in your head what you were going to specialize in. So did you end up specializing in what you thought you were going to be specializing in when you started? And what did you end up specializing in?
0: Yeah, so I was I was basically hesitating between two choices. One was mathematics. We had quite a lot of computer science, but obviously more applied mathematics than the other department. So what we call department, and the other department was mostly computer science, a bit of electronics, a bit of signal processing, but you know much more much more computer sciences than the other one. <laughs> and the more it went, the more uh, abstract math- the mathematics courses I attended were. Uh, I realized, okay, I guess uh, I guess that's that's getting too complex for me, or maybe the interaction with a teacher. You know, sometimes you have those very strict teachers. Like, if you ask wrong, they will get angry. If you answer wrong, they will get angry as well, and you just get paralyzed. You know, these kind of situations. So, if you combine that with you know a bit more advanced mathematics at the time for me, I was like, okay, I guess that's it. Just a signal to me that it's it's not for me, and that's why I chose. Uh, the, the computer science department. So it's not called like that. I think it was like information system and architecture. What's the, what's the official name of the department? But that's, that's the one I picked after after the. I was pretty sure after one year into 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 the into the beginning really that I wanted to go there.
1: Were you even thinking? I, I have a sense that you weren't even thinking like career after university. You were just kind of focused on what you wanted to learn. You were going to worry about. Career because if the math ended up resonating with you more, even at an abstract level, like what are your choices in industry when you get to that level of kind of abstract math? You're going to be in the basement somewhere in CERN, like like. Were you thinking at all what you wanted to do?
0: A, a bit, but it was still quite abstract. We would hear, you know, from time to time in school, like they would tell us about general trends, you know, like for instance, if you apply to chemistry. You would struggle a lot finding a job because those kind of jobs were harder and harder to find. So we would have some kind of connection to the job market. But to me at least, it was quite quite abstract. I was, you know, just fresh from high school and and I had some notion. So engineering was, you know, being being an engineer in France is already a good step into securing a good position, like a good financial position and a good job. But then that's that's basically where my reasoning stopped. I was like, oh, yeah, I had some idea on what kind of specialty lead to what kind of career, but not a very concrete option.
1: Was there a lot of... Um, so in, the, in those last two years, right, of your engineering degree, since you go into the in- informatics, right, that's what you're... Was there... What, what was the, the main focus? Was there a lot of software... Prog- was there a lot of programming? Was there... More database? Was there more kind of systems? What were they really kind of pushing at the time?
0: So I think the main focus was still programming. Um, so th- that was the main focus, really. Like we started with, uh, with C. We also did some, uh, what's the name? Ada. Do, do I pronounce that right? Oh, really? Ada programming language. Wow. Yes. We did one semester, one project on that. I mean, you had the choice between C and that. And for some reason, we picked the group, the team, the project team, or picked that one. I forgot.
1: You thought it was going to be easier. You're like, no, it's going to be easier. I promise.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And and I forgot all about it. You know, I just remember, oh, they did the automated metro with that. That's great. But uh, I don't remember the language at all. (laughs) So, yeah, that's, uh, but yeah, you really like C. I mean, yeah, there were programming all along, like C, ADAD and Java um, a lot more into the fourth year, so the second year of the second cycle. Um, and then, of course,
1: you had also was that was the programming resonating with you? Because I meet people who just like they love it; the light bulb goes on. This is what I want to do. And then sometimes you meet people that are just like, no, this is this is not what I want to be doing.
0: Oh yeah, and I mean that really resonated with me. You know, I, I still remember the first time I run a simple program that would display, you know, the hour and you know the seconds would change. So it was in C. And I'm like, wow! I just produce something I can see, like it's like getting super concrete. And, and I still remember that even more though than you know the first fake programs. I mean, it's, it's all it were real programs I would do with my calculator, which would not do much. But those one after you know starting the school of engineering, writing my first programs in C, and seeing something that was like, wow! I can actually do that, and I can actually you know have this feedback, and I can create something really. That really resonated a lot with me and that's what stuck with me for, I mean, still to these days, that's also, yeah, one of the things
1: I, I enjoy. So what was your, I love this question too, what, what was your favorite kind of class? Can you remember your favorite class or maybe like the, your worst class? Like, don't ever want to take that again.
0: Yeah, I, I had both a, a, a best and worst class, I think. Um, so. Um So let's start maybe with the best. The best one. When I, it was like the first year of the second cycle, so you know you are, you know, getting into that special, spe- I cannot talk, specialization. Sorry. <laughs> um, and so we dived right into, you know, computer architecture, basics, et cetera. And I, oh, that's the stuff I wanted to see, right? I was waiting two years with general purpose programming and chemistry, et cetera. And, you know, that's what I want to hear about. It was great because, you know, you had all, all, all the basics about computer architecture, knowing how it works, how, how each component relates to each other. And I was like, oh man, that, that's what I wanted to see. And was so happy with that course, I remember. And the worst one was... I don't even know, I guess the course was just called sensors, and we would read, so some exercises were just, we would read sensor specs and answer some questions related to these specs. And we were, most most of the class were like, we don't want to do that. We just want to write some code, right? We don't want to read sensor specs and, and, and just answer questions based on that. Like, why are we do, even doing this? And so this one was, was one of the worst really, because it felt so, distant from what, from the rest of what we were doing really.
1: Yeah, you couldn't get your hands, it would have been different I guess if they gave you sensors that you could program and it doesn't sound like they were doing that. No. Not really. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's, it's now like 2009, you're about to graduate, you've done your five years um, at university. What are you thinking next? Are we, you're thinking more, more, education or you're finally ready to get into a job market like 2009 was a little of a tough year right at least in the u.s we, we had a small financial collapse with uh housing and mortgages i don't know if, if that was affecting france at the time
0: so i only have vague. i mean i remember uh, reading the news about this i think it affected france but i cannot really remember in you know in, in how many details there wasn't Yeah, definitely consequences, but maybe not as hard as uh, in the U.S., but again, I'm not completely sure. And so at that time, in 2009, I actually did my last year abroad, so in Germany, because I wanted also to practice my German. And I had two choices, basically stay in Berlin when I completed my studies and did an internship or go back to Paris. And I picked the easy solution, which was go back to Paris, because in Germany, there is no concept of school of engineering, they know university, but they don't know school of engineering. And so they even they know even less the reputation of my school because they don't, they don't have those. So no, I had to kind of, and sell that on CV when you just fresh out of school, I don't have any experience to maybe uh, show as an asset. So so I was thinking I was thinking along the lines you know what going back to Paris at least the school is well known in france uh it's going to work out better. I already had some job opportunities there thanks to the network of alumni and and and, and other people in my uh, in my class so that's why that's where where why I come back basically because it was, was much easier to find a job and, and and I had a couple of opportunities at the time
1: okay I, I gotta ask you this because I love berlin i, I I'd love to like buy a place in Berlin. That's how much I love Berlin. And I rarely meet anyone who didn't like visit Berlin on a vacation and never leave, right? Like the city's amazing. So you end up in Berlin to do your last year interning. Uh, I want to know kind of what that internship was about, but you're one of the very few people I've ever met that said, no, no, I'm going to leave Berlin after even being there for a year. Did you, I mean, I'm actually curious. Like, did you not love Berlin, or were, did, did no, you not think I, I you could be? It. Okay. Yeah, I I
0: loved Berlin, and I would have loved to stay. But I, on the other hand, I was not sure. I think I, I think at some point I felt so. My, my internship was in a company which is still around, which is called Game Duel, so an online online game company like casual games. Um, so when I was working. I don't even remember exactly what we were doing. <laughs> that's that's very bad. But uh, I, I was not. It was not especially what I was doing was not especially great. You know, it was mostly adding marketing uh, marketing pixel tags uh, to some giant uh, Java pages. You know, just oh, just just pick uh, just add this if uh, this if else block in there. You know, among the <laughs> thousand other ones. This this kind of work. So not not uh, not necessarily super interesting. And so I didn't have any prospect in that company, and I was, and again I loved the company, and I would have loved to stay there, but I I picked the safest option uh, for me, which at the time which was to to go back to to France, but yeah I, I I I won't say I regretted that choice, but I would definitely love to to come back to to Berlin if I can, because yeah, as you said, the city is just great for everyone. There is. There is yeah, room for everyone, whatever their hobbies are, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera. It's, it's a great city. And I, and I regret uh, not being able to, you know, to, to maybe stay a bit longer or, or find a job opportunity there.
1: But now it's interesting because if you're going back to France, you need a place to at least live. So you, did you go back to your parents' house at that point until you figured out what you were going to do next? Or did you already line up a job before you left?
0: So I, I lined up a, few, a couple of job interviews. Um, which were, yeah, they were not really intense. Uh, so, so basically I got two 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 two, firm options. So I picked one and then basically everything started from there. I just visited a few flats and I was lucky cause it was, uh, you know, in the quiet, uh, season really for, for flat hunting. So I, I didn't have any trouble. I was quite lucky really. the time I came back was the perfect time to, to find the accommodation. So I, I didn't struggle at all. Didn't have to stay uh, at my parents' place really everything went uh went very smoothly lucky, luckily for me
1: you were okay so what 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 company did you end up at and what were you doing and i guess it gave you enough salary to be able to live alone you didn't have to have roommates wow that's that's pretty wild so
0: so in berlin i was with roommates because i had you know just this uh, this small uh, internship income but berlin was super cheap as well so that was enough uh, in paris yeah i had a uh, a good enough salary to get uh, to, to get a flat by myself. Uh, and so the company, I don't think it's around anymore. It was, it was basically a Steam competitor. So again, you know, with game, uh, you could either download games and play or play online. Uh, that was mostly the the business model of it. it. Basically died down like Steam won by a large extent. Um, and I was doing so, I was working on the front-end part uh, of those applications and we were doing several uh, I don't remember the exact term in English, but when you would have the so website declined in different versions, according, according, depending on the customer, like we would we would work for some company and we would just style those pages. Oh, you're white labeling. White. Oh, white labeling, thank you, I forgot. Okay, yes.
1: no, that's right.
0: So that's what I was doing at the time, uh, mostly, you know, PHP and, and, and front-end work. Uh, that...
1: Did you know PHP before you went to that company? Because it's the first time you're dropping PHP. Everything you've done so far is like, I guess, Java, I guess, HTML, CSS, right? JavaScript in the internship. So this is a PHP job.
0: So this is, yeah, my first job was a PHP job. And actually, I, I forgot to mention, there, there, we learned a bit of PHP at school um, in the web web courses, you no know, web programming course, We, we so different ones. And, and that's a language that stuck with me for some reason. You know, maybe because of the same thing that I described with my first program, like you write something, you see it. Like that was, you know, the short feedback loop and, and 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 great experience for me. And and many many, my age in France, when they started programming a bit more seriously, they would do PHP. Like that that was a language, was a go-to language for many of my generation. I think I believe that's because of the you know easy feedback loop. There is no compilation phase, etc. So that was that was really great to to tinker with. And uh, that's why I, I could have picked Java, but for some reason at the time I, I changed my mind. Since, but it felt like a bit more, you know, heavyweight, hard, complex, etc. You know, I want to do PHP. It's easier and I enjoy it more. And that's how I. am. Yeah.
1: So you had the experience. Like that internship helps a lot. Like right? we don't have that in the in the U.S. I hear about that a lot in Europe, where you get that that one year of internship, and now you have something on your CV that says, you know, I've worked at a company, even if you don't want to treat it as your first job. It was your first job and you get that experience, I mean, out of the way. So that must have helped even for you to get this first job, say, back in France.
0: Yes, that that helped definitely a little bit. The fact that we actually, actually, we have two internships. So one is a bit shorter, like three months. So it's, of course, on a reduced topic. And the last one, so actually, I had six months of studies and six months of internship. So six months, that's a full one. Um, so yeah, that that helps, of course, and also we also have projects in school with the companies. So that's specific to the school I was, uh, where we would have also part-time part-time projects for two semesters. So also concrete, you know, con- concrete uh, problems to solve for the industry, really. So those so, so things help a little bit, you know, to compensate for for the lack of experience we would have uh, going out from
1: school. The, definitely. But this is wild, right? You're 22 years old. It's 2009. You got your first job, like real professional job. You you truly interviewed for and you got it. And you're in Paris. And you're, I mean, you're living the life, dude. 22 in Paris on your own. Good job. Like, what, what is this? What is this? What is your role in this company? And how long are you, are you at this company?
0: So I stayed a bit less, uh, a bit fewer than two years, I think. And my role was, uh, so they were contracting for the whole front end thing and they wanted to, you know, come back in house. So my role was basically to cover the transition period. So work with a contractor, you know, get to know the code base and then basically uh, work on my own. And then I, would say I actually hired a couple more people after that. So I was the lead, even though I was, you know, leading myself, I guess. <laughs> But it's good for the ego, right? Yeah, I'm the lead developer of of the one-person team. (laughs) So so that's what I did.
1: All all coding and PHP for this, this was a gaming platform too.
0: Yes, so yeah, all, all, uh, all, all the front end was PHP and some, you know, templating and HTML, CSS, and a bit of JavaScript, yeah.
1: So then what happens in 2011? Are you, something comes across your desk, some recruiter, Hit you up? You're bored. Like, what's happening in 2011?
0: So, so even a bit before that, I got more and more interested. So, I started hanging out, hanging out with uh, so the lead developer of the company, which was mostly focused on the back end. So it was, you know, lots of uh, Java, uh, Spring Framework, etc. And it got it got me super interested in that. But sadly, because of my responsibilities, I could not switch to full time back end and learn Java, etc. And I but I would hang out with him. I would uh, attend the local Java user group and learn about, you know, those uh, rock star speakers uh, from 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 other countries, and start to see the the ecosystem, the community. And I'm like, damn, that's actually super interesting. I would I would love to be able to 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 be full time, you know, work full time with Java and, and 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 learn more about the ecosystem. And because of the impossibility, really, to switch to full time. Uh, I started to look around, you know. So also the Java user groups were great for that because I could chat with people from that community and see and see what was there. And, and that's how it led me to uh, to my next gig, really.
1: Oh, okay. So you were you were you really wanted to work in Java in in Spring? All that stuff you were seeing these kind of cool people working on, and you weren't going to have that opportunity where you were. But, so and then I guess you had all the Everybody was telling you at that point who they're hiring or who what they're looking for in terms of hiring so so what's the next company that you that gives you an opportunity i'm imagining in Java, which you had some experience from university
0: yes and you and also even studied while I was you know mainly working on phP the java certification so that, that was how that was how involved I was and my lead developer helped me a lot with that and so what happened uh, so I met a couple of people from uh, you know from these uh Java user groups, and they were creating a small consultancy company, like completely uh, managed by developers, like company of three people. And they were looking for their first hire. Um, and that's basically, I was interested by that. And I said, well, you know what uh, I mean? So the company was called Natural Thoughts. It was very small contracting shop that we're doing mostly based on their network of customers. We would do gigs like that. So mostly, mostly around Java, etc. cetera. And, I got super interested and say, you know what, I mean, I just, I just want to I just want to try. And I was their first hire and I think the company was not even finalized when I did the interviews. They finalized it maybe one month later.
1: I'm actually curious, did they were you able to at least maintain your salary? Did you have to take a pay cut? This is a it's kind of a scary situation. Like this is not gonna necessarily be stable. So just kind of curious where your head was related to Salary and security.
0: I I think uh, if I yeah if I remember correctly, actually I had a pay uh, raise. So when I when I when when we discussed about salary, when when they agreed after I done the final interview, uh, maybe maybe not that much, but but little, little more that I that I had in the previous company. And they also you know they were just in the phase of creating the company, so so they had calculated everything like how much. Uh, but you know how much uh, finance do we have in res- do do we need to have in reserve? You know they had really they really made sure they had enough capital to be able to sustain a new hire in case there is you know no contract going. So that's why that's why also the I don't yeah we don't even negotiate at that point. So I just I just got a, a little bit more of what I had before. So I was uh, I guess quite
1: lucky as well. I some, I sometimes don't realize my luck, but yeah. But they must have raised some money then. Did they have an office? Was everybody working remote? Because either that, or they packed away a lot of cash over the years to start this.
0: I, I think they didn't have that much capital, but they, you know they were all freelancers. They were already working with customers. They had good relationships with them, so they were they were they had enough capital, I guess, to sustain maybe three or four months of me being unemployed, which didn't happen. But they had some advance and. Uh, yeah, and they had good relationships with the customers, so they knew they could staff
1: more people there, really. I see. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. So how long... So at, at this point now, you're doing Java, you're you're doing consulting, which is I think a great skill for everybody to have because you walk in... I call it chaos engineering to be honest with you. You don't know what you're walking into half the time, and your job is to try to stabilize while continue to move things forward. So did you enjoy a little bit of that kind of chaos? It, it's hard. It's not intuitive how to operate in that environment initially. So did you enjoy that? Did you kind of flourish in that? Did you not enjoy it?
0: So so I first, I, I think I completely blew it because I, I didn't know the code of consulting really and how to communicate because I was first in-house, you know, we were just always the same people, always working on the same thing and quite transparent about who would work. So the first gig, I actually almost got fired because I was a bit too explicit, like, for instance, at every stand-up, and it was the f- their first agile project in the company, so there was quite a lot of scrutiny, and I would say, oh, I have this and this and that problem, like, could someone help me, you know, but I was maybe a bit too explicit about it, and so so, so at some point, someone came to me and said, hey, it seems you only ha- you only ever have problems, like, uh, what's going on, while others, you know, would phrase them a bit more or less, uh, you know, in a less obvious way, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that's the kind of things that got me in trouble in my into my first gig. But actually, that was a good hard hard earned lesson. Um, and when I got an opportunity to actually step out of, of that project, I said, you know what? Maybe it's better for me uh, to actually move to somewhere else because I don't know. It, it was yeah, kind kind of tough really to to. To get, you know, get, you know, get, uh, have the discussion with the manager and say, you know what, we're maybe letting you go. And uh, that, that was quite a big shock, a big, a big shock for me back then. So, so yeah, I almost blew it. But, but then I moved on to another customer completely different, which they worked with for years and much, much more, you know, I, I was about to say easygoing. That's probably not the right term, but. A much more relaxed setting with a great team you know great productive team uh, people were getting along super well, so that was really like from one end of the spectrum to the other really that was really what I needed at the time uh and I didn't even experience an employment between the two gigs it really just started after yeah right after so that that was really, really great for me in that case and that's why I also continued consulting after after that
1: yeah no, i i I tell a lot of people that come to Arden all the time I like your your first two or three months don't complain about anything just solve problems even if it's not the prettiest way to solve it solve problems and once the client is seeing that you're solving problems you can start to talk about how to change things for the better but if you do that day one right like you're it's not good it just doesn't come across proper it, but that's stuff you have to learn you, you learn that pretty quickly so i'm glad you stuck with that now how long are you with this how long are you with this company in this kind of consulting role?
0: so ar- around four years um i st- i stayed four years with them uh, mostly so yeah that was good actually seeing different different customers the different organizations different problems organizational problems as well that was quite interesting because you know we're a bit from the outside so we can observe without suffering too much of the consequences so that's a, that was a, a privileged position really to, to watch those problems and try to address them in a way even though i was still very junior at the time so i didn't have much leverage on at this level but yeah lots of experience gained there and in terms you know of people. i was probably very naive when i started but you know, in terms of proper behavior in terms of technical experience as well and, and, and organizations really that was uh was very formative for me.
1: But I, I say it all time ignorance is bliss. Sometimes it's good to be ignorant because you won't do things otherwise, that even if there's some hardship and a little bit of failure, that's where you're learning, right? So being naive is almost an asset <laughs> to yourself at times, right? Yep. <laughs> but that's the other kind of cool thing about, again, I'm a chaos engineering, is that at least. You know, almost every year, like you can almost be on a different project, solving different problems and you're not, you don't get bored necessarily. It's, I think you get more burnt out than, than maybe bored. So were you kind of starting to get burnt out after uh, those four years?
0: Yeah, I, I think I wanted to work again for a software publisher, you know, not switching customers every six months, you know, rediscovering an organization, going elsewhere in Paris because the commute is not always easy. So I, I really wanted to to find you know a more stable environment, so to say. So that's, and I think yeah, I, I mostly stopped my consulting after that. I, I, then I started working for for companies directly, not not as a contractor. So that that's what really was something. I, yeah, I needed more stability. Really, I was I was glad for the experience I gained, but not so glad for all the different commutes and, and, and different logistical problem.
1: I imagine as well, you were continuing to go to the meetup groups for Java and your... Was there any other new tech in those four years that started to get your interest? Is that when kind of graph databases start to get a little bit on your radar screen?
0: Yeah, actually the first time I heard about it was in my first job. I didn't do anything with it, but that's when I heard first about Neo4j because we were thinking about um, backend engineers were thinking about ways to prevent fraud and and burning uh, game activation keys because once uh, game activation key is blacklisted, it's lost forever. So you lose part of your stock like that. So it was there was actually real financial implications of trying to make the anti fraud detection uh, efficient. So that's the first time I heard about it, but then it's only a couple of years later, then uh, I stumbled upon Neo4j again. And really out of curiosity, that's actually how it started. It, it looked fun. <laughs> that was my approach then, it looked fun. So I got interested and started some, you know, small disposable uh, side projects on it uh, for me. And that's really, yeah, that's, that's a period when it started when I was uh, at the lateral soaps for those four years. Yeah, so I, I didn't jump into you know unknown territory. I, I went to a customer uh, that we, we worked uh, previously. So it's called, so in France, it's, it's quite known actually because the company is a bit more than a hundred years old. It's called Vidal. And historically, they produce a dictionary of drugs. You know, you have the drugs, you have the definition. That's what they used to do. So there's a kind of the authority on drug data. And what I did is join as a lead developer. So that was really my first lead role. Um, a bit early, actually, but <laughs> that's also something I learned because, uh, you know, man- management, like, oh, you have to, to deal with, uh, you know, Usually it's not the same as just, you know, programming. So that's the kind of things I learned, of course, on the job, you know, um, but yeah, mostly Java API again, um, lots of rest APIs and, you know, and working with, uh, you know, health software
1: publishers, mostly for, for doctors, but uh, not only, that's what I did for. I mean, you're not even 30 yet. You're not even 30 yet. And you jumped into this sort of like dev management role where, I mean, I, I'm, I imagine you thought you're going to be able to do a lot of architecture, design, and, and some mentoring, right? But people problems are the worst problems in the world, right? You, you didn't get to do any tech while you were in that job, or at least not that much, right?
0: I mean, not, not that much. And I think I was not ready. The only reason I got accepted, because they knew me, right? I was doing a good job as a developer there. So that probably helped me, because indeed, I was a bit too young for this role. And I had really had no clue about proper management. I, I learned that a bit later. And there was also a legitimacy problem because one of the other teammates also applied for that role and got rejected. And we were mostly we mostly had the same experience. And then you start, you know, uh, as a lead <laughs> with someone that wanted your position and don't think you're legitimate. So, so combine that with my lack of management skills at the time, and you know that was really created a big divide in the team and that was really, really tough to manage for me because I didn't have enough experience and didn't even know what good management looked like. So I didn't have any example in my own, for, for my own years of working that I could use. So so it was, it was tough.
1: It is, I think, almost impossible to suddenly manage a peer. Someone who was a peer, like, and suddenly you're now the manager, and unless they 100% buy into it and they're patting you on the back for it. It's an it's an impossible situation. Yeah, it's just it, the other thing too is, look, and I I think I've said this before. I the first time I had to manage somebody, they wanted to quit in a week. Like there's no you're not born with that. It's you've got to have people above you who appreciate the mistakes you're going to make in your first year trying to manage anyone and kind of coach and mentor you through it. Because I I had the same sort of experience the first time. Somebody literally who had been there a long time was like, I can't do this anymore, I'm quitting. Like that was an eye-opening, right? I I was a tyrant. Why didn't you get this micromanaging level? Like, I'm not like that anymore, you you have to learn. Um, But at 28, I think you're right. I mean, you think you're ready, but but you, all right. So how long are you in this role uh, that you took here in 2015?
0: So not too long actually. So this role and the next role I stayed for maybe one year and a half. So not that long, um, yeah. And so mostly because I wanted to to move on and and I didn't really understand what the lead developer role meant for me. It was like I had to know what everything what everyone was doing and I had to watch everything. Going. Of course, I got overstressed and burnt out. Plus, you know, some legitimacy issue to solve. That was. Uh, Really about cocktail of uh, circumstances, and I, I, I wanted to. Actually, I could have stayed longer, right? I, nobody. I was my, my my own manager was very supportive, and he knew right that I was a big junior. He knew it, but then I wanted to move to uh, to big tech. So I, I I tried Google at the time. Uh, what time did you, acceded... did you almost oh, Did you sorry.
1: you tried to interview for Google, or did you get into Google? What so year I tried is that?
0: To get into... So it was in 2015 or 16, I'm not completely sure, around that time. And it, all, it almost worked out. Um, I went to the last stage, like on site, you know, did the four or five interviews. My brain was completely grilled at the end. And yeah, so somehow, it's, unfortunately it didn't work out, but then I, I went to um so a big tech company, I mean, label as that in France. So it's probably not known outside outside of France, which was called Criteo, which is like an art retargeting company. But the way it was, so it, they were attracting really top talent in Paris. And I was like, you know what? I want to see what a big company is like. And Criteo seemed like a, an interesting place to work at. And that's how I got in. Um, same interview process with more feedback. So that's actually nice. You know, You know why you failed, contrary to what Google was doing at the time um and and yeah i stayed there a little bit but then i realized uh <laughs> working in a big company is also has its own set of challenges as well so so and the team i was at was you know we're doing interesting work on uh on quite legacy software on, on the average targeting stack but the team so the people were that was the first time it happened to me actually the team was very smart like everyone was super smart and could solve super hard problem on the whiteboard discuss you know live etc but when it comes when it came to good team practices you know like pair programming or you know or even testing you know I, I thought for at that at that point in my career I thought testing would not be a big debate like you know unit you testing. we should try to unit test we should try to have integration tests etc cetera, etc cetera. and that was quite of a debate and I was a bit set back by this like why well, I have these very smart people strongly objecting to some of the practices I took for granted. And given I, it was, you know, hard to resolve it. So I tried, you know, I tried to push, I did some small workshops, for instance, but I, what I read, say, taking some real code, say, Hey, here, here is how we could refactor that together and see, see how much nicer it is now, how more usable it is now. And, but that was quite frustrating for me at, at that point, you know, having this discrepancy between the role—I don't know—the role skills versus the team skills. I'm, I'm not sure how to phrase this, but that was quite disparaging, uh, quite, quite demotivating for me. What
1: were their what were their big what were their big complaints about the testing? Was it time? Like we don't have time to write tests. We got to get product. I'm assuming this is a Java. Is this a Java role too?
0: So not anymore. That's what, That was my first experience. I mean, if we all meet the first one, uh, outside of Java, it was in uh, .NET, and I knew nothing about .NET also. So that was, I mean, it was quite interesting, right? Uh, at least I learned something new.
1: How did you get hired for, all right, how did you get hired for, I'm assuming it was C Sharp, right? How, how did you get hired for a C Sharp job with no, I mean, you hadn't really been working on Microsoft OSs at the time. You're, you have Java from an OOP perspective. Why did you even want it? Now no, I'm curious. So you have no experience. You you got hired here. You had to start over. Like, were you? Yeah, I just. W- what was going on in your head? So, the, so the company
0: itself would not label themselves as a C sharp shop. And actually, they had different uh, technological stacks depending on the team. So it was large enough. They have, they had many teams. And the process uh, for them was we hire uh, generalists and then we al- along you know with, within the process at some point we talk about uh, possible candidate, candidate teams that the, the, that the interview we could go to. And that's really towards the end that I learned about which kind of teams they were thinking for me. and um, yes, yeah, so they, they were targeting generalists at the time so because they had some parts you know more you know more close closer to the infrastructure. Uh, or some other parts uh, heavy on data processing and machine learning. For instance, you would have Scala, et cetera, uh, on that part. You would have lots of, lots of Chef for the infrastructure and lots of C Sharp for, for the applications that would run on the edge of the platform. And when I went through the end of the process, I was like, okay, that's actually the teamwork seems interesting. Uh, I told them, you know, I have no experience in C Sharp. That's okay. You will learn on the job. You will you will get help. And that's how I, sign, I signed for it, basically. And there was a factor again that it was a French Google in a way, um, and so that that was also what drew me to it at the time. Like I wanted to tr- to try this kind of company as well, so it would look good of my CV, and yeah, it would be a good experience. So that's why I. Well,
1: it sounds like this was a CV move. It sounds like this was a CV move, and. Even if it didn't work out after a year, it wasn't going to matter, right? And then you had C Sharp on your resume. I, I, I'm kind of getting that sense.
0: Yeah, I mean, C Sharp was probably the side effect, but having the company name in France was quite uh, because people in Paris at least knew how long the process was, and it was not obvious uh, to to get in. So that so that yeah, that's served that purpose for sure. And C Sharp, it was nice to know. At least I had some experience, and and that was a good actually not even c sharp itself but stepping out of the java world a little bit you know and, and trying something new so the process of trying something new was actually something that uh, that helped me a lot for for what for the companies that went after after that even
1: so you so you joined this company in 2015 how long are you how long are you there how long is... Does...
0: So I think it's 2016 maybe uh yeah I'm not completely sure on the dates um I didn't stay that long because again of the you know the team practice issues that was that were really bugging me because it was affecting me on a daily life like it was very concrete right people were skilled, but I felt like you know I was working on my own <laughs> struggling with the stacks that I didn't know people were not super available there were not much collaboration going on in that team, and I was yeah okay, I want to move on.
1: I'm I'm getting a sense that they were really book smart, like theory wise, they really understood. But when it came to actually taking the the hammer out, they were, that was frustrating you because you were kind of the opposite. You had a lot of experience getting your hands dirty, building stuff. I'm kind of getting that sense from you and you wanted to, you wanted to do more on the engineering side, practical.
0: Yeah, exa- exactly, I'm, I'm, and I'm more on the team side. I enjoy more working with people, not on my own, and that was also frustrating. And if you add that, you know, the promotion system, which was very based on individu- on individuals, like I knew I knew some instances where people would focus very much on their own promotion and disregarding any consequences for the team or the objectives we had, you know, as long as you can get promoted, it didn't really matter. And that was a bit, you know, a, a bit strange to me. So I try, I, I played the game, a little bit, of course, because well, you, if you don't get promoted for, for 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 some time, then then you're you're at risk. So so I, I played the game, but I was like, we I was working in a code base that was that had so many so many strange patterns because of that, because people would just optimize their own you know career path and just move to another team for another another rank and and they would call it a day. And I was like, that's not that's not great, right? We we just sacrificing the the projects we work on for that, so.
1: Yeah, the incentives were off, at least from where you wanted to be. They were off. They were, they were about individual contribution, not necessarily... Yeah, I get it, I get it. So you're there for like, say, a couple of years. So now 2017 is kind of rolling around. What are you thinking now?
0: So but when I was still there, a friend of mine, was so a lead developer for my first job, uh, reached out to me. He was working at Pivotal at the time. He started as a Cloud Foundry advocate and then moved on to Spring Engineering. and told me, you know what, so Pivotal uh, has opened office or is about to open offices in Paris. Like, Could you be interested? So it was a consultancy part of Pivotal. So I was a bit hesitant, like, do I really want to go back to consultancy? But at the same time, you know, oh, it's Pivotal, you know, it's back to Spring and, you know, people I admire, etc. So I so I, I struggled a bit with the decision, but then you know what? I'm just gonna apply, and it worked out. And so I started at Pivotal Labs, and if, yeah, I so and the idea here at least it was it was still consulting, but customers would come to our office, right? It would not be the contrary. So they would come. We would do you know like very XP, so lot, lots of pair programming. Uh, you know. Uh, design as well so pairing with designers product managers co-located very short iterations very agile so that was that was and you know technologies we would not nothing about at the beginning of the project as well so it was so collaborative and so productive so that was my, my best team experience by far that's it was such a contrast with what i had experienced earlier so that was actually great and i and i stepped my foot into the pivotal company as well so that's uh I, I was really happy with with, with,
1: the, with the move I back then. You got everything you wanted. You got to be the coach and the mentor without managing people. You got to work on tech that you were actually, I mean, still excited about, right? Java Spring. Um, you got to work on different projects. You got to stay in the office. This was like uh, like Disneyland for you here, man. This is this is everything you wanted. Uh, Pivotal Labs, two thousand seventeen. So. So what, what happens, man? It's, uh, like, you know, like how long are you there for? So for the
0: last part, it was great, but it was intense. Like, I mean, when, when we say to people, you know, we work nine to six, they say, yeah, sure. Like, like everybody else. Right. Sure. But like, it's intense, nine to six, like full pairing, lots of discussion, lots of, you know, prototyping It's, it's really, really draining. And, um, And I was, you know, I still had this background idea of working with my, you know, with my former colleague again, because at that time he was in R&D and um, they were working on this uh, function as a service project called Reef, Project Reef, which is still online, but probably not maintained anymore. And I was like, you know what, I want to work with you again, so could, could that happen? It took it took a little bit, of course, to negotiate, you know, moving moving from labs to the R&D because it was a lateral move, uh, which was not happening often at that point. And that's how, but it worked out, and I was lucky again. And then I moved to a completely new world again, like you know, full Kubernetes, Go that I didn't know back then. So my my colleague introduced introduced me to it. Um, so completely different technological landscape at the time for me surrounded by people uh, much more senior than me by at least five to 10 years at the very least. Uh, so, so a completely different world again, uh, but super interesting. So many things I learned, but I've really felt like a baby that was thrown to the swimming pool, swimming with a team of uh, Olympic uh, swimmers or something. That's really, my, my first three or, or four months were
1: really, really like that. I want to ask you about that because I... When I have to learn something completely new I, I go through a bit of a depression first right it's like man I spent all this time I'm really good at this and I gotta like start over this is depressing I know if I put a year into it I'm like I'm gonna know I'm gonna be happy but I mean that's for me it's a hard thing to do to just jump into something completely brand new i I, I fight the fear but I got you've been doing that a lot like and now again it's completely new again it's Kubernetes you've never seen. A new programming language, which isn't like Java or C Sharp or PHP, completely different mindset again. um, Does that get you excited when you get to kind of jump in that pool for the first time? Or are you a little bit more like me? You're just like, this is a drag, man. I I know only because I, I know how much work there is in front of me to get to where I want to be. I think that's what kind of, depresses me i just know the amount of work i have to put into it kind of how do you Where is your head when you're you walk into these situations
0: so i, I initially was, was was exactly like you described like i would really wanted to focus you know on java become an expert in it and and you know really really try hard at that and i would really be afraid of, of trying uh, maybe not afraid but yeah i, I had this reluctance of you know getting my knowledge aside and start something new. And then, you know, my first experience at Criteo learning C-Sharp kind of helped me a little bit. So it was mostly accidental, really, because I just heard what the team was doing then. Yeah, sure, it sounds interesting. Let's learn C-Sharp on the way. Uh, But then Pivotal Labs really was a cure for me because we would have these short projects, three months. We would start sometimes not knowing the stack at all. And just by pairing together, learning together, we would move so fast that it's actually, that's really helped build my confidence. Like, okay, actually, I can learn something new, even with a tight deadline, so to say, I, that can work. So that's really helped me uh, get past the fear. And so maybe I, I'm not, I, I cannot claim I'm an expert on everything that I do, but I know to learn just enough to get the thing going. And that's, and that's really moved me to the, to, to the opposite feeling. Like when I can learn something new, it happened to me recently at work again, like I had to do something in C and C++. So I had not touched C at all uh, since I left school. C++ never did. And actually was excited, right? Because I had like a real good excuse to learn that <laughs> that was a work task. And so it, it gets me excited nowadays if I can learn something new because i yeah i think people Labs really helped me with that because uh, i i built confidence that i can learn and and I, yeah i can learn and be kind of productive uh doing so
1: nice so you take this job in rd work so they're building out their own um basically uh fast system right? there functions as a service that's what Pivotal R and is doing for their platform at the time, so you jump onto that project and you're, you're going to start doing some like, pretty heavy duty, core Go kind of development in that space. What what's one of the first kind of things they ask you to start working on when you join the team?
0: So when I joined, the first things they, they asked me to work on was on the CLI because we had this small reef CLI, you know, to interact uh, with the cluster. And which was probably <laughs> the most gentle introduction to Go at that point. So that was actually kind of nice because it were self-contained tasks and you know fast feedback, quite easy to to grasp. So I I really I really enjoyed those uh, you know those this onboarding really of, uh, of working on the CLI that was su- super easy uh, and I was well accompanied by my, by my colleague as well. So yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that I think that was a great kind of first jump into Go and. And being productive, and the CLI is—it's a front-end tool, right? So you're you're doing front-end again <laughs> on the racket. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's wild. Yeah. So how long are you at? You, you joined them in 2017, right? Pivotal. In
0: 2018, I think. 18. I'm sorry if my years are No, off. no, it's okay. <laughs> it's, it's
1: We can be close. Um, how long are you? Are you there? So I. St- Stay there till 2020.
0: Um, So I worked. So I worked on the CLI indeed. I worked uh, we were trying to work on something that would make streaming like a first-class citizen. So not only you would have regular functions, but you would have streaming functions. And I was working on the invoker for that. So that that took me a a few months with my colleague to work on that. And then what happened? I got contacted at the end of twenty nineteen by Neo4j, which, you know, of course also had always a special place in my heart. So I was, yeah, sure, let's discuss. So they had a developer advocate role around the community drivers. So I discussed, did the interviews in tw- early twenty twenty and
1: then pandemic Timeout. Time out. Timeout. Time out. You're doing some pretty cool core work right now. You're your Go skills are getting, you, you see that the programming language has a lot of potential at that point. You're probably also seeing job market there. You're working on some pretty low-level stuff. Um, I don't even see how graph databases, even on your radar screen, unless you go into meetups. So how does a recruiter reach out to you? Is this like LinkedIn recruiter stuff? I, I, I kind of want to know whether, you just kind of glossed over it too quickly for me. Like, uh, how does that connection I'm so sorry.
0: Yeah, I'm bad. I'm bad at telling my own story. (laughs) So so Neo4j, actually, since I first learned about it, I started playing with it in 2012, um, mostly. And, And I kept doing my own side projects on it for, you know, all in parallel of all we talked about, really. Like for instance, uh, I started in 2014 a migration tool because it's you know you don't have a rigid schema, but then how do you migrate right? So that's one of the things that was not solved at the time. So that's the kind of project that, that got me going for a while. So I still had you know projects on the side. Uh, I even did trainings, right. I had a small a small structure um, to, to, to give trainings to get paid for it around new4j. So I, I think I was one of the only ones at least in France giving trainings outside the program of Neo4j. So I, I did that also in parallel for a while.
1: Wait, wait, wait. How long were you, were you doing that before you joined Pivotal or when you joined Pivotal? Did they yes. know you were doing that? before. You told, before, so you were in all these jobs you were at, you were really learning the tech without actually working on projects with it. You were just kind of doing your own and then you started training in, in Neo4j. Yes. Yeah, you didn't and tell me that.
0: that was... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you no, know, I was trying. I tried to follow the job path, and then yeah, I realized, oops, there is also this Neo4J story in parallel. That's true. So yeah, actually, uh, I started uh, giving trainings quite early, uh, maybe too early. Like if I w- would do it again today, I would probably not do it because it was a lot of work. But um, yeah, that's the way I actually got to learn the product, you know, very well because I had to know it before before training people to use it. So I've, i had been doing that since maybe 2013 or something. Maybe one or two trainings per year, right? Not not something full time because I wouldn't have the time. But still, in, in, often enough that I would need to update my material, follow what's what's going on with new 4 J and from a developer perspective, at least, right? I would not I would not uh, give trainings on how to to uh, you know maintain it in production, etc. Because I wouldn't have this experience, and it was hard for me to get to that experience it was really developer-focused training that I maintained, uh, and we still actually, uh, still, still a friend is working with me on this. We still do maintain it to this day, but we don't we don't give it very often. So, that's, so the Neo4j interest actually was maintained all along with side projects and trainings while I was also moving companies.
1: All right, so you already have the relationship with this company, essentially. So in 2020, Uh, somebody pings you and says we've just opened up this DevRel role we think you're perfect for it are you interested and you get excited I'm wondering why it took what would that be seven years for them to um, consider you for this role since you'd been doing this for so long
0: yeah that, actually, that's a mystery to me. I got in touch with them a few backs earlier, but somehow the process stopped. I mean, it was not clear what happened, really. And so at, the, and at that time, when I was contacted again by someone I knew, um, um, it was you know in combination with a project as the service, struggling a bit to find you a know, user base, etc. So things were a bit going into slow motion at that time as well. I was like you know what neo4j indeed i've been doing that for a few years i would love to be part of the company again but yeah not sure not why it took so long um I've, I've, <laughs> it's still a mystery to me to, to to this day i don't know why
1: but you really love this product because it sounds like when this opportunity opened up you you jumped fairly quickly you were like yep this is where i want to be this is what i want to really be doing i want to work on on this tech so yeah, so when you, what is it, I, I, I think you may have answered, that. I'm going to ask you again. What is it about this tech that you love so much that you, when, when this opportunity came across, I, I, I'm going to say it like, I, I, let me consider it this way as someone who's a little bit ignorant. This tech isn't new. This isn't new tech, right? They, they, this thing has been built, has existed for a long time, Right? Um, one of the things I liked about dgraph was they they built a brand new graph database from the ground up with like Kubernetes in mind, right? To, to run something in a stateless sort of distributed environment. This this is proven tech, but it's kind of older tech. And you're working on a lot of new tech right now. So what is it about this product or this tech that you have such an affinity for?
0: Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a great question. I'm not sure I have. It's a bit, you know, subjective as well, and maybe not completely rational as well, but I still had these memories when I first used their language, their query language, which was so expressive to me. And, you know, do, doing s- such powerful querying, traversing the graph, et cetera, that, that that those impressions got stuck. And then, you know, the more I was giving trainings, I used their product and it, it just felt great. I had good interactions with their people and so you know, it it was not a completely rational choice, that's for sure. But you know, summing those, I was I like that. To me, that looks like a good company. The CEO is great. I have good good relationships with some of their employees that I know, and and you know, and plus the fact that I was working on new tech indeed, but it was such a struggle for for a long time, right? I was completely new to all this, and it was so much to digest and digest. I'm like, yeah, what if I work at New4J? For once in my career, I will already know something before I start. So that would be a great change, right? <laughs> so that also, maybe some kind of comfort, maybe seeking some comfort before, when I join as well. And that really also helped me uh, for, for the confidence as well when discussing. Because I, I didn't, almost didn't need any onboarding because I knew most of the things already. So that really felt great for the first time as well. So the, the, probably why I switched, uh, even though I was working, yeah, indeed, on exciting technologies and an exciting, you know, market segment.
1: But Devrel is a whole another. I know you've had the you had the experience being in a classroom twice a year, but what did you what did they tell you this role was going to be? What did you expect the role to be?
0: So when they described me as a role, one of the first things they told me is. Uh, you don't have to go to a gazillion conferences every year. Uh, it, it's not what we're seeking here. We're seeking more, you know, hands-on, uh, you know, more, de- more, you know, developer bias, do- bias toward development more than you know pure, pure advocacy. Um, so that's one of the things that reassured me because I, I, I love going to conferences from time to time, but I would not, I could not afford going, you know, every week to another country, etc. Like some of my former colleagues in the advocacy did. So that uh, and so they told me it's all about you know uh, we have a driver's team but it's super busy there are not enough people to also you know cater for community relationships so we, we need someone really to try to fill the gaps between what the driver team is doing and what driver users and why what driver maintainers outside of the company need so we need someone to help smooth those relationships and yeah maintain them because it takes time and and the team at the time didn't, didn't have that time.
1: Oh, you had all the experience for this role. I mean, when you think about all the jobs you had from the consulting to product to big company, small company, this was like you were almost almost raised to do this, this role, right? You got to be an engineer. You had Go experience, which I'm sure was incredibly hard to find at the time. Well, it's 2020, but somebody who wants to do this role with that Go experience. Was, was the Go driver... One of the first things on your radar because of your Go experience. you think that helped at all with getting the, getting the position?
0: I think that helped indeed. Uh, so not only knowing Java because almost everyone at Neo4j because the core product is in Java and Scala, almost everyone knew that. But having someone knowing Go and also you know I touched C Sharp etc. Before, so that that kind of helped because we had you know we have these five, five official languages that we support. So yes, the polyglot aspect helps. Um, and yeah, and indeed, so, so, in retrospect, that really felt like the role was for me, and I was, <laughs> I was super grateful when I joined. And on day one, the first thing I did was resurrect some old co examples. For instance, that's the first thing I, I I did when I joined. So, so it was a, it, it was a great, yeah, quite happy with the move uh, I did back then.
1: Yeah, I mean, you you've been there for two years, which is kind of a, a milestone, right? Because you've only been at one place where you were. I think you had one place where you're four years, um, right? And I can yeah, tell... Yeah, I moved f- quite a lot. <laughs> no, but I, I don't have a problem with that. You ha- like, if you're not happy where you are and you're not... You work because you have to make money, right? Like, I don't know if you have a family or not, but at the end of the day, you, you have bills to pay. You gotta, right? Like, you have to work, but at the same time, if you're miserable every day at your job, there's there's no value in that either, right? So, you know, I, I, I really love the fact that you were there for a year, year and a half. It wasn't right. It wasn't right. It wasn't right. This place was 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 pretty good, <clears throat> and now I can just tell you're really happy, kind of where you are right now and the work you're doing.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That's finally got all the ingredients I wanted, like a product I love. A solid customer base on technologies I love and you know, good collaboration. That's because I, I had some of those in all of the previous experiences, but never all together. So that was really the first time I had all of these ingredients. Uh, so that was, yeah, a, a change I really, I really, I really needed, I think. But then there's a, still a, a last change, right? Because <laughs> I stayed three months in Devrel and then I moved on to the drivers team itself. I kept the Devrel role, but um, I realized how, I mean, it was my first DevRel gig, and but it's so hard, right? There are so many different roles and responsibilities as a DevRel that I, I there was an opportunity that happened a bit after I joined, like the so GoDriver driver maintainer wanted to move to another team. And so I jumped to that. And now, if I, yes, that was the last change. I promise that's, me, that's the last change.
1: No, that's I'm, not the last now, change.
0: <laughs> You're too young for that. <laughs> At least for now, yes, yes, but yeah, no, I, I'm quite happy where I am, you know, in the driver's team, but still doing community work, uh, meetings with community driver authors, etc. So, yeah. I,
1: I, I'm I'm curious with such an established product, and I don't know the product very well, so are they adding enough new features every year that require changes to the driver? I mean, backwards compatibility, obviously, is massive um, for you there, but like is there, is, there, is, there, is there enough dev work all the time to be improving the drivers or is it a lot more of your time being spent helping customers with the drivers so they can build the products that they need to build? So,
0: no, there, there is actually almost full-time working on the driver because there are, there are indeed new features coming in. Sometimes, you know, very you know, very low in the stack that pops up up to the driver, like the work we're going to do in the next major version. But we also have one big topic. So because the company has hired so much in the recent years, we're finally staffed enough to take some time and try to unify the driver behavior, which is a big topic. Like you want, you want to be able to reason about the same things regardless of the driver you use, at least the official driver you use. And we've been quite, uh, we've been working quite hard on that, making sure not only, of course, the API is consistent, so that's the easy part, so to say, but the behavior as well is consistent. And of course, because you know you have five different drivers, sometimes you have discrepancies that uh, that are not obvious, but also you know breaking expectations of customers. So there's also a big big chunk of work, you know, figuring figuring out what's different and how to to reconcile it if we can and when we can.
1: So that that scares me a little bit, right? Because I feel like every language has their idioms and their ways of doing things and developers in those languages expect that. It it goes back to and I understand why It's my understanding that Amazon essentially code gens their APIs because they have to support so many different languages and platforms that the scale of having a purely individualized API that's, say, coded um, with the right guidelines and idioms would just, it would be overwhelming, right? So at least on the Go side, you have pointers everywhere because it's the safest way to regen uh, an API around that, right? So, But then you... you you lose that feel of the API that you're expecting to have as well. So, there is a balance there, right? Are are you thinking that we're going to code gen at some level these drivers, so there's maybe one code base and we're able to generate this and, or like where's your team's head on that? Because I think it's an important kind of engineering trade-off to have. Do we want the Java developer and the Go developer to have their true experience or it's not important because we're a small team and we have to kind of cater to the larger picture.
0: So I think right now we're very much into uh, trying to make sure things are idiomatic. And that's been a struggle sometimes because, you know, indeed we want consistency, but we don't want to sacrifice, uh, you know, idiomatic. I'm not sure it's a word, but I'm going to say it. <laughs> idiomaticity. Um, mm-hmm. and, and sometimes, indeed, discussions are not always easy when we, when we discover differences, for instance, like, but like... Sometimes I say, but I don't want to fix that in goal because that's the expected behavior. That's the way things work, and so sometimes we just agree on that. We don't always blindly say consistency is more important, so we we should basically erase every difference. But that's really on a case to yeah, case per case basis. Really, it's uh, but but it's a tough call. That's one of the tension we have in the team, right? Like how how do we express things in uh, in C sharp or that was one of the criticisms we got early in the early days like C sharp felt like Java with for the C sharp driver was feeling like a Java driver and for users it was terrible it seems <laughs> I mean I heard <laughs> and so and and even the history of the Go driver is interesting because initially uh, the, the the team lead at the time authored a C library. That would, uh, that would power different drivers. And so we had a C library and a Go driver built on it with CGO. And users hated it. They said, you know what? It's too clunky to install. We don't want to deal with this. And basically, that C library got killed because of that. And that's why Go driver was born again and was rewritten from scratch um, because the user experience was just horrible with the C library below.
1: I, I, I think it's a trust issue. If you see a package that's not written in the idioms for the language you expect, I think you just don't trust the engineering behind it. Whether, whether it's right or wrong, it's, it's irrelevant, right? When you're evaluating anything in a, for, that you're going to bring into your, into your product, regardless of the language, you're evaluating syntax, idioms, API usage. And if you don't see those things, I, I think it becomes a, a trust issue. And if I can't trust this, how can I trust my application is going to work? All right? I mean, you're doing trust engineering at the end of the day when you really think about it.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's exactly that. And we're also investing quite a lot in, you know, in having designers help us also figure that out, like having you know user interviews and trying to understand where 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 the gaps are and how we can help with that. Which is of course challenging because designers usually, I mean, I'm not. From what I know, at least with the designer I work with, they usually liked you know, graphical user interface better because it's easier to prototype and reason about. But we we also, yeah, we're working quite hard on that at the moment, so we're still in the middle of this, but trying to figure out where the gaps are, F- first and foremost, right? I mean, we'd rather be super idiomatic and a bit less consistent than, than the other way around. So that's the thing we are, yeah, working hard at.
1: With backwards compatibility, as you, Improve the next version that people can migrate to. You, know, you like you need the Go fix program at some point, right? To to yeah. migrate yeah. to the next. It's a lot of engineering. I, Mongo uh, Steve Francier, who's on the Go team now. He he drove the you know the drivers for MongoDB uh, DB at the time, and I remember talking to him about this and like how mind blowingly complex this. This, this is for any company, you know, that has to support all of these different um, communities. So yeah, uh, always impre- you're gonna, Yeah, I'm sure you've learned a lot already in the last two years. And um, it's really great engineering experience there.
0: Yeah, definitely. And we were right in the middle of this because we are shipping a new major version. And we're trying to draw the line, like, how much do we want to break because we're allowed to? but you know there is there is also this balance like let, let's not screw everyone upgrade let's try to keep it reasonable as well so that, that's uh, yeah f- fun challenge is
1: yeah i would scream yeah uh, every time open telemetry they went to at least they've released finally 1.0 but my god i wanted to cry and scream at people every couple of weeks when they were just liber- they were like well we have freedom to break the api No, you don't. Stop. Like, stop doing it, please. (laughs) Like, you're driving me crazy. I'm losing a half an hour every two weeks trying to figure out the change. So I get the idea that you, I think the one thing about Go that has been brilliant, right, is they have, to a T, maintain their backwards compatibility on the language, right? You do never have to worry about waking up in the morning and the next point release or major release isn't going to compile your program. Right? Just again, trust engineering. Right? We trust that. And people can com- com- complain all they want that it's not moving feature wise fast enough, but you sleep at night.
0: Yeah, completely agree. And I'm also trying to, to, to keep as much as I can and maintain as much as I can, even, you know, older protocol version between the server and the client. I know some of the drivers like, completely removed that from their code base because it makes things easier. But I'm like, why, why would I remove that support? You know, it's it, it's just going to make the life of, of some people more more complex. So yeah, that's part of the things we are. We've come a long way, really. I, I think, honestly, in terms of backward compatibility, we still have rooms for improvement, but we're really trying hard to, even though, you know, we are going to come to a new major version, make sure the upgrade remains smooth and, and not to break, you know, Make everyone lives a nightmare for when, when the new version comes out. That's uh, interesting. Uh, interesting topic for sure.
1: Yeah, and complex. All right, we are out of time. Unfortunately, I've enjoyed talking to you um, tremendously, and I love your background. Right, I, and I love that you ended up exactly, at least right now, where you want it to be. Um, with the tech that you, you kind of fell in love with even early on in your career. So that's that's really kind of brilliant. Thank you. And I really enjoyed trying to tell my story <laughs> in <a> disorganized <laughs> way. <laughs> that's a, it's perfect. All right. If anybody wants to reach out to you after listening to the show, and we'll put everything in the show notes as well. Uh, what's the best way for someone to reach out?
0: I think Twitter is the best way. I'm, I'm kind of
1: addicted to it. So yeah, F-B-I-V-I-L-L-E, that's where I am. All right. Perfect. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. This is the Arden Labs podcast. Florent and I signing off and hope to see everybody again real soon.